All right. <laughs> well, good morning. Good morning. Glad you guys are here this morning. And it, what a wonderful joy it is to, to worship together, to get to, to praise the Lord with one another. Uh, I, I missed that last week, getting to worship alongside you guys. Obviously, you don't have to be here to worship the Lord and glorify Him, but, but I always feel like I'm missing out on something when I'm not, I'm not here worshiping alongside you guys and spending time in God's Word together with you guys. And so, uh, so I missed that last week, and I'm glad to be back this week. Uh, glad you guys are here. Glad you guys are awake, and you turned your clock back, so your phone did it for you, and so you're here and, and awake, at least for now. We see if that changes in the next 30-ish minutes, but... Uh, but for now, you're awake, you're here, and we get to spend time in God's Word together. Ecclesiastes 7 is where we're going to be. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Continuing on our series, uh, uh, Under the Sun, looking, you know, we're following along with Solomon as he's looking for meaning and purpose and value in life. And, uh, and this week, we have uh, a collection of Proverbs. Uh, this first part of, of chapter 7 sounds a lot more like Proverbs than, than Ecclesiastes, but it it's slightly, it is it's pretty depressing, so that's why it's in Ecclesiastes, I think, um, because it, it, it does have some of the, the down notes that uh, Ecclesiastes often hits, but it's this collection of Proverbs that Solomon gives us, beginning, uh, chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Ecclesiastes 7, beginning in verse 1, this is what it says. A good name is better than precious ointment, and a day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools, for as the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools, this also is vanity." Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good, with an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of the Lord. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Let me pray for us, and we'll get into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you that we get to stand here and proclaim that you are great, how great thou art. And God, I pray that you would raise our view of you. God, I thank you for your word, that your word challenges our view of you. Your word challenges our view of ourselves and our lives. And so, God, I pray that this morning you would raise our view of you, that you would give us a, a higher view of you, that we would sing proudly and excitedly how great thou art and we would recognize where we stand in light of who you are god i pray this morning that you would mesmerize us with the gospel that you would captivate us by the gospel god and i pray that it would change everything about us god i pray that you would mold us and shape us in the image of jesus because of our time in the word this morning and god i pray that we would leave here better than when we came because we spent time hearing from you it's in the precious holy name of jesus that we pray amen now, I love movies, and I know a lot of you guys love movies. Some of you like movies even uh, more than I do, Travell. Like <laughs> uh, some of you guys have a, a deep love of movies. But I, I grew up going, going to the movies a lot with my dad. That was kind of one of the things that we would always do 
uh, as our father-son time. Uh, and so I love going to the movies. And, and I love movies with a good story. Like, it's, it's got to have a good plot. My dad likes action movies. And so as long as it's entertaining and, and fast-paced, he'll go. And, and I'll tag along if there's popcorn, you know. Like, I'm happy to go to any kind of movie as long as, there's <laughs> as, long as I can get some popcorn. But, uh, but what I really like are movies with really good stories. Movies with a story to tell, engaging plots, uh, and, and, and they really draw you in with the story. And some of the most engaging stories are, are the stories of real people uh, or fake people. But they're stories that you follow along someone's, someone's life, right? So, f- for example, like for a, a real-life person, you could follow along Eric Little's life in uh, Chariots of Fire, right? Or so, some other movies, like a fake person might be Forrest Gump, right? Like you can follow along somebody's life, and you, you kind of— you follow along all of the, the highs and the lows, the, uh, the, the, m- the pivotal moments in their life, and you get to follow along and just listen to or watch the story. It's the same reason some people read biographies. Uh, I, I love to, to be able to see the life of an individual from, uh, from a biographer's perspective, getting to see kind of the high points of their life and, and basically live their life through the, uh, through the words of this bio- biographer. And there's, there's these stories that we tell about people's lives. And, and it's for me... Every time I see a biopic or I read a biography, the question that pops in my mind is, what would someone write about me? Like, what, what would a movie about my life look like? Does my life, is it worth making a movie on? <laughs> or is my life, like, is there a story to tell here that a biographer would write? Like, like those are the questions that pop into my head. And the, and the fact of the matter, and this is what we'll get to in Ecclesiastes, uh, this is a really difficult text to interpret in Ecclesiastes 7 uh, because it's a collection of Proverbs, but there's, they're loosely connected to one another. And the overall theme of this collection of Proverbs, it has to do with our life story. So many of us want to live a life, hopefully all of us, want to live a life that we could be proud of. Right? We want to live a life worth telling people about. We want to live a life that, that could show up in a biography and, and be a good story. Right? We want to we live a life that would show up on a movie and, 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 and we could be proud about what's displayed on the screen. We want to live a good life and have a good story and live a life that we can be proud of. That's, that is a big part of our lives. And this is what Solomon says about this idea. To live a life that you can be proud of. A life that you can be proud of. It's a life lived with wisdom today. It's the main idea from Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 14. A life that you can be proud of is a life lived with wisdom today. We see this, again, this is a loose collection of Proverbs, and we'll kind of go through this. There are three main sections of Proverbs here that that Solomon gives us to, to flesh out this idea and to paint this picture that a life you can be proud of is a life lived with wisdom today. And there's uh, so three sections of Proverbs. The first section here, it reminds us that every single one of us, our story is going to come to an end. For every single one of us, there's going to be a day when our story will no longer, we won't be able to add anything to it. The story of your life has an ending. Look at me in verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death better than the day of birth. So this first line, a good name is better than precious ointment. This is, again, this overarching theme introducing us to this idea that a life that you can be proud of, a good reputation, a a life story that's worth repeating and emulating, like that is better than than treasure. This is a a very similar proverb that's found 
uh, in the book of Proverbs where it says almost the same thing, but it says a good reputation is better than treasure. So it's almost the, the exact same sentence, but slightly changed the wording in order to, to fit the context a little better. But either way, like a good reputation, a life well lived, uh, a life story you can be proud of, that is better than, than pretty much anything you can find on earth. Like you want to live a life that you can be proud of. You want to have a life story worth repeating and emulating. You want to have a life that you can look back on and say, that was a life well lived. That is better than, than pretty much anything else you can find on this earth. And so Solomon follows it up with this really strange line. He says, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. Like, that is a really sad line <laughs> that Solomon gives us here. It's the day of your death is better than the, the day of your birth. Like that's a, that's just a really, that is an Ecclesiastes line, right? Like very sad, ve- a little depressing. Uh, and, and it's weird because think about it. What do we celebrate every year? Birthdays. <laughs> the day of your birth, right? Like when you're born, people celebrate. There's, there's tears of joy. Like there's, there's a, it's a, ha- a happy moment. Uh, and, and we celebrate that every single day. You know what we don't celebrate every year? The fact that you're going to die. Like, we don't have, like, an impending death day party, like, every year. Like, we don't, we don't celebrate the fact that one day we're going to die. But so, and and when, we, when we do die and there's a funeral, like, like, there are tears of sadness. Like, it's not a celebration. It's usually not, I mean, we call it a celebration of life, but it's, it's not the happiest of celebrations. And it's usually not a party. We don't make balloons and cake. Like, it's, like it's, not, it's not a celebratory moment uh, for so many <laughs> people and for so many lives. And yet Solomon is saying that the day of your d- death is worth celebrating more than the day of your life. The day of your death is a better than the day of your birth. And based on the context of this proverb, there's, there are really two reasons that Solomon would say this. Three, if you count the fact that he's just depressing in the book of Ecclesiastes. The two main reasons that Solomon would say this. Number one, when you die, you can no longer mess up your life story. So think about it this way. A good reputation is better than anything in life, right? A, a good, a life well lived, a good story a, a, of, a, of a good life, like that is better than anything else. And as long as the day of your death is sometime in the future, then you have plenty of time to mess it up, right? You have plenty of time to, to, to mess up your life, to add foolishness to your life, to, to live a life that is not worth repeating, to, to look back on your life with filled with regrets. Like you have plenty of time, as long as the day of your death is sometime in the future, you have plenty of time to mess it up. But when you die, you no longer have time to mess it up. <laughs> like there's no longer a chance to live a life that isn't good because you've run out of time, you've run out of options. The second reason that death is better than the day of your birth, as Solomon would, would say here, is that when you, on the day of your death, that is the end of your story in, s- in some respects, in terms of this earthly life. That is the end of your story. The story is completed, both, both book ends, and you can look back and evaluate and see the completed story of your life. And you don't get a chance to change it. You don't get a chance to rewrite it and do some edits. Like at the, at the day of your death, you get the completed story. You can say, this was my life. This is what I did with it. On the day of your birth, it's an open book, right? Filled with possibilities, filled with opportunities and options. And Solomon, as the the depressing person that he is in the book of Ecclesiastes, would say filled with chances to mess it up. But that's not the case on the day of your death. You have the completed story in front of you. 
So Solomon, what he tells us to do, and we'll see this continuing on, what he tells us to do is we need to live with this future in mind. We need to live with one eye looking forward to the fact that we're going to die. There's going to be an end to your story. And so you want to make sure that's what, that what is between the ends of the book, that between the front cover and the back cover is good. It's a life well lived. It's a life worthy of repeating. He goes on, verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. So what Solomon is pointing out in these two verses and this collection of Proverbs is that it is better to think about the day of your death than to think about the day of your birth. It's better to, to go to the house of mourning than the house of laughter because the thing that comes for all of us is death. It's true for every single one of us that there's going to be a day when our story ends. And way too many of us are living as if that's not the case. Way too many people li- live as if what, it, what, it, what we have today, this present reality, is going to live forever. Like, like death is not going to come for us. We, we are invincible. And so, or we live as if there's plenty of time left. And so we can, make, we can do dumb things today because you know, we'll, we'll turn things around in the future. We'll make something of our lives one day. And Solomon is pointing out there will be a day where you're going to die. And you don't get to pick when that is. But there will be a day when you're going to die. And you'll run out of opportunities to make something of your life. You'll run out of opportunities to do things that are good. You'll run out of opportunities to, to paint this beautiful, wonderful story. You'll run out of chances. There's going to be a day that you're going to die. And we have to keep that in mind in the present. That's why Solomon says in verse 3, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of face, the heart is made glad. Solomon says that if you're recognizing the fact that you're going to die and there's, there's going to, that day is going to come, when you r- keep that in front of you and you recognize that you, you are aligning yourself with reality. Like your heart is made glad by that recognition because if you're living as if you're invincible, as if you're going to continue on forever or as if you have unlimited, unlimited amount of time to make something of your life, if you're living that way, you're not in line with reality. And so remi- reminding ourselves of the fact that we're going to die and reminding ourselves of the fact that there's, there is that moment in our future aligns our heart with reality. So while there's sadness of face, our heart is glad because it, al- it reminds ourselves and aligns ourselves with what's true. There's going to be a day where your story's going to end. It continues in verse 5. It is better for a wise man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Solomon points out that the laughter of fools, the, the merriment, the, the, the happiness of fools, the, it is like crackling under uh, uh, thorns under a pot. So there's th- what, th- what the picture here is of these little uh, tiny briars and thorns, these little bitty pieces of wood that you put them underneath a pot and you light them, and they immediately flame up and they make annoying noises, but they flame out very quickly. And so there's not, it's not a good source of heat. It's not a lasting picture. And Solomon says, this is the joy of fools. This is the, the laughter of fools. This is the merriment. This is the picture of someone who's just living as if they're going to live forever. And they're going to have plenty of opportunities to make something with their lives. They're going to have plenty of opportunities in the future at some point that's not going to be the case. And so this, 
this momentary laughter, this momentary happiness, it will pass away. It is a quick flash in a pan. And it, it, is, it is nothing of substance. It will be gone. There's a uh, pastor in uh, Washington, D.C. named Mark Dever. He tells a story about how when he was a kid, uh, he would sit in a chair and he would, he would kind of look at his hand and imagine it as a skeleton. And kind of I- I- what he's doing is Ecclesiastes 7. He's picturing the fact that uh, he's going to die one day. And he's keeping that in front of his mind. And the thing about that story is that it's weird. I don't know if you guys do that, but I've never done that, right? It's just a weird thing to do. Um, but it's a good idea, good practice, as we see in Ecclesiastes 7, because what he's doing is he's able to live with the idea that he's going to die. And that impacts the way that he lives today. That impacts the choices that he makes. When he's thinking about making a a story worth repeating, when he's thinking about uh, having a life well-lived, he's not thinking about this, this infinite opportunities and possibilities of the future. He's looking at today and realizing that he's not promised tomorrow. So Solomon starts out with this really depressing but very true reminder that your story is going to come to an end. You have to keep that in mind. The second section of these Proverbs, Solomon gives us uh, the idea that foolishness can derail your story. There are four different things in this next collection of Proverbs that that Solomon says can can introduce foolishness to our lives, and it can derail our story. If we're trying to live a life well-lived, if we're trying to to have a story that people want to emulate and talk about, a story we can be proud of, there are four different things, and this is not an exhaustive list. Again, this is a wisdom book. Solomon's just giving us four examples, but there are four different things Solomon says can derail the story of our life and introduce foolishness into our decision-making. Look with me, uh, the first one in verse uh, 8. Sorry, verse 7. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. So the first one in verse 7 is corruption. First thing that can derail your life story is corruption. It starts with this first line, surely oppression drives the wise into madness. The idea of oppression there in the original Hebrew most likely means extortion. So he's talking about an example where you can be a wise person trying to make wise decisions and then you, you make dumb decisions and they lead to you being extorted by somebody else. Someone who's trying to extort payment from you in order to keep quiet about a dumb decision you made or keep quiet about something in your past. And, and so you're being extorted by that person. And that can turn a wise person into foolishness. Right? That can drive a wise person to madness. And then there's the the flip side of that, not an extortion, but the second half of verse 7, a bribe corrupts the heart. So instead of you giving money to keep someone quiet, now someone is giving you money in order to stay quiet, in order to, uh, to avert, uh, you know, abuse your authority. Like they're, they're giving you a bribe. And again, this is an example of someone who otherwise might be wise taking a bribe. Now you're introducing foolishness into your decision making. Extortion introduces foolishness because you're giving up control of your life. And you're handing it over to somebody else. Have you ever seen people in, in situations where they're extorted, they make s- sometimes very irrational decisions. Or on the flip side, the, a bribe corrupts the heart. It introduces injustice into the way that you operate, into the, the decisions that you make. And so instead of making wise decisions, instead of making the right decisions, you make wrong decisions in order to, to uh, please the one who gave you the bribe. I think a good example 
of this uh, is Alexander Hamilton. I told you I read a biography of him not that long ago, and so it's stuck in my mind. But uh, Alexander Hamilton was involved in the uh, very first sex scandal in American politics, uh, where he uh, had an affair with a woman named Mariah Reynolds, and a uh, very uh, famous affair. And uh, after this year-long engagement with her, this year-long uh, affair with her, uh, her husband, Mariah Reynolds' husband, extorted Alexander Hamilton for money. And he did it for a period of over a year, constantly going back, saying, I need a little more. Going back, I need a little more. Going back, I need a little more. And Hamilton didn't want to come clean about what was going on because he was a politician, and he didn't want it to get out, so he kept paying. So Hamilton is an otherwise wise person, like made a lot of really smart decisions, but here he kept giving money and giving money and giving money and covering up what he had done. And it led to the, the least wise decision-making of his life, like this notable chapter in this book of his life where he was clearly acting foolishly. Corruption can introduce foolishness to your life, and it can derail the story that you're trying to tell, the story that you're trying to live. He goes on. The second thing that can derail your story is pride. Verse 8. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. How something ends is better than how it begins. Life is not about having a momentary uh, good moment, this high point. Life is about finishing well, right? Living a a completed story that is worth living, a completed story worth telling. So Solomon says there are people who are like what the goal should be to be patient and, and to live a life well lived and to take every day as it comes. But there are other people who get prideful and arrogant and, and high on themselves with where they are in life, not recognizing that they have life left to live. Like the story that they are in is not done being written. This is the exact same reason that Solomon says in Proverbs, pride comes before the fall. So we get high on ourselves, we get really uh, really uh, big on, on ourselves and on our accomplishments and what we've done, and that th- we raise those up in our eyes and we think we are the greatest thing in the world. We get really prideful and arrogant about ourselves, and we don't realize that whatever present circumstance we're in is not eternal. The, the condition we find ourselves in is going to change. And so if you're, for example, you're really prideful and arrogant because you have done a really good job with your finances, you have really built up your bank account, you've really built up your portfolio, you're beating the S&P 500, you're doing a great job with your money, and you're, you become prideful and arrogant about that, you recognize that that's not going to last forever. And tomorrow the market could crash and you could lose everything. Solomon is saying it is better to be patient and to take every day as it comes than to be really high on ourselves and really build ourselves up because we never know what, what, what might change in our circumstances. There's a good example of this. The guy named Ravi Zacharias is a really famous apologist uh, and, and by all external views seemed to have a life well lived. Right? Seemed to be a story worth telling and emulating. But later on in Zechariah's ministry, as he was traveling the world and preaching and proclaiming the gospel, as he's traveling the world as an apologist, he's going all around, uh, all around the globe. Uh, he, wherever he would go, uh, there are repeated accounts of him uh, engaging in illicit sexual activity or sexual abuse. A- and he would say things to the, the women that he would either hire or 
he would uh, bring them in from his ministry team, and he would say things to them like, you are God's reward to me. Like, like this is what I get as a, as a benefit and, and because of how, you know, he didn't say it exactly this way, but because of how great I am, because of how great I've done. Here's a guy on track to have a life really well lived, on track to have a wonderful reputation, but with pride and arrogance, had a catastrophic fall. And now when people talk about Ravi Zacharias, he's, he's passed away now, but now when people talk about Ravi Zacharias, that's what they think. It's a story that mostly well lived and then cratered at the end because of pride. Because he became full of himself, thinking that how he was today is how he will always be. Pride can derail your story. Third thing that can derail your story is anger. Verse 9. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. We all know people, and we've all been guilty of, of having uh, bursts of anger. Uh, we, and we all know people, or maybe we are guilty of it, of, of having repeated and, and, and having it be known about us that we're just generally angry, frustrated people. Right? We've all had, uh, all seen and experienced examples of people getting mad at waitresses and waiters uh, for getting an order wrong or, or, uh, or, or not being fast enough. Right? Going to a fast food restaurant is a, a good example for me of people just getting really mad, really angry. Uh, and for no reason. And every example of that, every outburst of anger in general looks foolish. Like it produces, it doesn't produce good. It doesn't produce uplifting or edifying. It's not, it's not good. It, it doesn't look wise. Like you know how to handle yourself. Every outburst of anger, uh, righteous anger is a different example uh, in Jesus. But for the most part, every outburst of anger just looks foolish. It, it, is, it is, leads to unwise Horrible decision-making, saying things that we regret, doing things we wish we didn't. Solomon says, don't be angry. Anger lodges in the heart of fools. Anger can derail your story. There's a podcast. I highly recommend it. I've, I've mentioned it before called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Uh, and there's in the podcast, it's about a church called uh, Mars Hill, uh, which you may have been able to gather. But there's a pastor uh, in that church called Mark Driscoll. That's his name. Uh, and uh, I don't know much about Mark Driscoll today, where he's at, but at the time of where the podcast was recorded uh, and, and kind of going into the history of Mars Hill that they were, they were looking into, uh, there, was a, there were a lot of examples of, of Driscoll becoming really angry uh, with his staff members, with his church members, and he would just lash out in anger. And that led to a, a really toxic work environment, a really toxic behind-the-scenes culture at the church, and eventually uh, when he was... Uh, forced out of the church slash left the church, the church crum crumbled. Anger can derail your story. If you allow it to take hold of your life, you allow it to take hold of your decision-making, it will derail the story that you, you want to tell with your life. And you will look back on it with so many regrets. Last example that Solomon gives, and an interesting one for this list, is nostalgia. Nostalgia can derail your story. Verse 10. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Solomon says, uh, don't, don't look back on the, the good old days, right? The, the former days and say, man, those were way better than today. Like, don't look back and get stuck in the past and try to get back there. 
Because here's the truth. Whatever the good old days were, whatever, whatever glory years you have in your past, whatever you're trying to get back to, they're not as good as you remember them being. Like, because our brains have this tendency to, to hype up, the, when we have fond memories of something in the past, to hype up the really good parts of it and to totally wash over all of the bad parts. And so when we think about the past and these good old days and we want to look back to it and we want oh, to go back there because those were great and today is horrible and we want to we get back there and, and to, into those good old days. What Solomon is pointing out is that that's not a wise question. That's not a wise way of thinking because the good old days were just as bad as today. There were just as many problems then as there are now. It, it is the, the world was just as, as broken and corrupt and whatever period you're thinking of, as it is today. And so it's foolish for us to be stuck in the past and to want to get back there instead of looking at our world today and living firmly in the present. What Solomon is calling us to do and what he's asking us to do is to stand firmly in the present with our eyes focused on the fact that we're going to die. And so we're li living in the present with that idea. Right, to be firmly planted where we are today with all of the obstacles and all of the opportunities of today with an eye towards the fact that we're going to die. This is something that uh, captures countries. Right, where people in a country, they, they get stuck on the idea that we need to get back to this period. We need to, to get back to this day and age. We need to make today like the past. And so we keep trying to get back and, and resurrect the good old days. America, for example, there are a lot of people that want to get back to this idealized version of the 50s or the 60s. And they, they say, those, you know, those were the good old days. We want to get back to them. And so they hype up some of the really good aspects of those days, some of the family structures and dynamics. And they, they totally gloss over a lot of the problems. Like the 50s were wildly racist. And, and the 60s had a lot of so much uh, political turmoil and tension that it produced the hippie movement of the 70s. Like we forget all of the bad things that happened in the 50s and 60s. And we say, well, we want to go back to the good old days not realizing that those are gone and those days had their own problems and we are living today in 2023 with different opportunities and different problems and we need to face those the same is true for churches churches run into this problem all the time and this is a, a common issue with declining and, and struggling churches you have a group of people that want to get back to the good old days and they're living firmly in the past they have this picture of what ministry used to look like or, or this, these days where things seem to be going really well and they want to get to that. And so, so every decision, every, every, uh, every idea that they throw out is trying to get back to the good old days. You know, one of the worst phrases when making decisions is we always, we always did it this way or we've always done it this way or this is what we used to do. They can be helpful because they can color and help us in making a wise decision, but what we used to do and what worked years and decades ago has no standing or bearing inherently on what's to, uh, what we have today. We're not living in 1990. We're not living in 1950. We're not living in the 1800s. We are living in 2023. Our church is operating and ministering today. So our decision-making as a body of believers, it needs to be rooted and based on the opportunities and the obstacles that we face as our church today and moving forward with those. And the same is true in your life. Most of us probably have some period in our life that we look fondly back on. 
and, and so many of our decision making, it's, it's trying to get back to that feeling or trying to get back to that moment. It's, it's thinking back to college and thinking those were the good old days. And so you want to get back together with your, your college friends and relive some of those moments. It's, it's thinking back to, to the early days of your child's life and trying to, to relive and hold on to those memories and those moments. It's trying to live in light of the past and you are stuck there. What Solomon is saying is you don't live in the past. You live today. And we need to live firmly planted in today with today's opportunities and obstacles with an eye to the fact that that as you're making decisions to live a life that is worth talking about, a life that you uh, can be proud of as you're making those decisions, you're making those decisions today. The past is already done. The future's yet to come. But you are making those decisions now. So we need to live in the present. These are the things that can derail your story. Corruption, pride, anger, nostalgia, and there's so many more. But these are the examples that Solomon gives us. But Solomon then gives us the other side of the coin. Tells us that wisdom can lead to a story worth telling. Living and acting wisely can lead to a story worth telling. Look with me, pick up with me in verse 11. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun, for the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. If you want to live a life worth living, uh, worth, worth talking about, you want to live a life you can be proud of, if you, you want to have a story worth writing down and emulating, live with wisdom today. Make wise decisions with what's in front of you. Face today's obstacles and deal with them wisely. Seize today's opportunity and do it well. Like live with wisdom in the moment, in the present. And if you do that today, and then you do it tomorrow, and then you do it the next day, you're going to reach the day when your story ends, and you'll look back and say, that was a life well lived. That was a story worth talking about. He wraps it up in verse 13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. This is a a repeated refrain throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, but what Solomon is saying here is that you don't know what tomorrow holds. And so don't be stuck in the past, and don't be worried about the future. Live in the present taking whatever it is in stride. If it's, a, if it's a happy moment, if it's a, if it's an uplifting moment, then be joyful for today and live wisely. If it's, a adver- if it's a day of adversity, if you're struggling, recognize that tomorrow might be better, that this, but this is what you have today, so deal with your adversity wisely. But live in the present with your mind on the fact that your g- story is going to come to an end and you want it to be something worth talking about. Now here's the thing. That is good advice, but it's not inherently Christian advice. You cannot be a Christian and believe all of that. And non-believers can take all of that to heart and live better lives. And and, and our world would be a little bit better and their lives would be a little bit better, but but non-believers can take this to heart and live lives that they can be proud of. You don't have to be Christian to follow these. And these, these are not inherently Christian or exclusively Christian ideas. 
the thing is that we get to see a little bit more of the future than Solomon is letting it uh, on. In Ecclesiastes, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is writing from the perspective of under the sun. He's just looking at what's around him. And from the perspective of under the sun, from the perspective of what's around him, we can't see the future. The only thing in the future that we know is coming is that we're going to die because everything else in the world dies. That, that we can say with absolute certainty, but that's it. But when we lift our eyes up beyond the sun, when we, when we gather this eternal perspective and we see what God is doing in the world, we see that we can actually see a little bit more of the future than what Solomon is saying. Because there's this wonderful message of the gospel that God has revealed to us in his word. This story of what God has done, is doing, and will do in the world. This wonderful message of the gospel that, that God created the world, he created you, he knows you, and he loves you. And then we as human beings have rebelled against him. We have rejected him as Lord and we have created a separation between us and him and introduced all of the death and depravity and brokenness into the world. And that God, since Genesis chapter 3, has been working to bring about the redemption of the world and the reconciliation of what we see. He's been bringing about redemption in our lives and in the world around us to bring about restoration from all of the brokenness and the sinfulness around us. He's been bringing about life and restoration in our world through Jesus. So the Old Testament is the story of God building up in in his works uh, in Israel and his works in the world leading up to Jesus. In the New Testament, we get the Gospels where we see the Son of God became fully God and fully man, came to earth, he lived a perfect life, and he died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And he rose again from the grave three days later so that we could follow him in eternal life and be part of his eternal kingdom forever. And we are looking forward to the day, because it's been promised to us, looking forward to the day when Christ is going to return and redeem all of the world. He's going to restore and redeem creation. He's going to do away with the sinfulness and the brokenness and the wickedness of the world. He's going to do away with the sinners and the the rebels against him. And those who have placed their faith in Jesus are going to live and reign in his eternal kingdom forever. We are looking forward to that day. But we can't see what tomorrow holds. We don't even know if we'll have tomorrow. But like Solomon says, we can look forward to the fact that we're going to die, that we can see that in the future, but even more than that, we can see the fact that Christ is going to return and that if we place our faith in Jesus, our story can actually line up with the story of the gospel and be joined to this greater story that God is doing in the world. If we place our faith in Jesus, we can receive the the free gift of eternal life in Christ, and we can be part of this eternal story and celebrate on the day that Christ returns. So when we are living today, just like Solomon is saying, we need to be firmly planted in today, in our present reality. But we need to live with our eyes fixed on our eternal life in Christ. A life that glorifies God is a life lived for eternity today. A life that brings glory and honor to Christ. A life that that aligns with the story of the gospel is a life lived where we are firmly planted in the present and we have our eyes firmly fixed on where we're going. We have our eyes firmly fixed on the eternal life that we have in Christ. And so the decisions that we make today, we don't make them blindly, trying to hope that we make the right decisions. We make them with our eyes fixed on where we're going and we make decisions that align with that. When you place your faith in Jesus, 
and, and you believe the message of the gospel, this overwhelming story of what God has done in the world and what he's doing in the world, when you believe that and you allow that to, to, to overcome you, it changes everything about you. And it totally reorients your life in a different direction as you see where God is leading you. And so when we place our faith in Jesus and we allow the gospel to reorient our lives, we begin to make decisions with that future in mind. When you face obstacles today, when you face opportunities today, we don't make decisions just hoping that we can live a life well lived. We make decisions on what's going to bring glory and honor to Jesus, what's going to make his name known in the world, and what aligns with this wonderful message of the gospel. So why we, we cast off all of this foolishness, all of the, the anger and the pride and, the, and the, the being trapped and stuck in the past and, and all of these things that are, that are broken and sinful, all of the other things that we can come across, we cast all of those off because they don't align with the wonderful message of the gospel and they do not make much of Christ. And there's no place for them in the kingdom of God. It's why we make it the mission and goal of our life to see people come to know Jesus because that is something that's going to matter forever. And so when we're living here in the present, we're making decisions that are going to matter then. And we're making decisions that are going to bring glory and honor to Christ. When we place our faith in Jesus and allow the gospel to change our way of thinking, it changes everything about us. The whole trajectory of who we are what we do. So instead of what Solomon says, living in the present and thinking about the fact that you're going to die, like th that's a good exercise in practice because you're recognizing the fact that there's going to be an end to your story. But instead of stopping there, live with your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus and align your story with this wonderful gospel story that God is telling in the world. When you're making decisions for your family, for your kids, as a church, as individuals, when you're making decisions, make decisions that are glorifying to God, and lifting up his name in the world, and aligning with where you're going. If you're here this morning, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you do not have that reorientation. You have not fixed your eyes on this beautiful eternity that you're going to live in, because that's not true for you. That is not the future that awaits you. And so what God's word is calling you to do is to recognize that there is an end to your story. You're not going to get to fix things at some point. At some point, the story of your life will be over. And all of the choices you made, you won't have any more opportunities. You won't have any more possibilities. The story will be done. What God is calling you to do today, while your story is still open, is to place your faith in Jesus, to put your trust and your hope in him, to allow his gospel and his glorious grace to change everything about you and realign your life, to, to receive the salvation and the grace that God provides, to place your faith in Jesus. In just a second, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And while we're singing, I'm going to be standing right here. I would love, if that's you and you want to place your faith in Jesus for the very first time, I'd love for you to come up here. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you after the service about what it means to follow Jesus. If you don't want to come up here, that's fine. Grab me after the service, but do not leave here without talking to me about what it means to place your faith in Jesus and totally changing your life, living a life with a story that's worth talking about and telling. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that that your word changes us, and that the glorious good news of the gospel and your powerful grace in Jesus totally reorients our lives. God, I pray for those of us who, who know you, God, I pray that the areas of our lives where we're not trusting you, where we're not following you, where we've allowed foolishness and brokenness to enter in, God, I pray that we would turn all of those things over to you. 
and he would lay them all at your feet. He would run away from the foolishness and the brokenness and the, the sinfulness. He would run away from those things, God, and we would make decisions and live lives that bring you glory and honor and praise. God, by your grace, I pray that you will fix and change everything about us, God. That you will continue to mold and shape us in the image of Jesus. God, I pray for anybody here who doesn't know you. God, I pray this morning would be the morning that they go from death to life. This morning would be the morning that everything about their life changes, that the direction of their life, this, this empty wandering and hoping that they do something worthwhile would totally change as you come into their life and you reorient, reorient them and show them the future and the love that they have in you. Father, change hearts this morning. We love you. We praise you. It's in the precious holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.